Welcome back to our sixth and our final week of our worship series, Melt Us, Mold Us, Fill Us, and Use Us. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and as we prepare to read God's Word and we seek God's illuminating grace, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, open our hearts. Lord, open them to receive you and to receive your will and your purpose for our lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scriptural reading comes from Matthew's gospel in the 16th chapter. We are reading verses 21 through 26. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will Willimon is a retired United Methodist bishop from the North Alabama Conference. But before he was elected a bishop, he was the dean of, of Duke Chapel. And after his retirement in 2012, Willimon returned to Duke Divinity School as a professor of practice of Christian ministry. And Willimon tells the story about a campus visit by a representative of Teach for America. The mission of Teach for America is to enlist and to develop and mobilize as many as possible of our nation's most promising future leaders to grow and to strengthen the movement for educational equality and excellence in the United States. Teach for America tries to recruit some of the nation's most talented college graduates to go into some of the nation's worst public schools. About this visit, Willimon writes this. This woman stood up in front of a large group of Duke students a larger group than I would suppose would come out for this sort of thing. 
and said to them, I can tell by looking at you that I have probably come to the wrong place. Someone told me that this was a BMW campus and I can believe it looking at you. Just looking at you, I can tell that all of you are a success. Why would you be on this campus if you weren't a success? If you weren't going into successful careers on Madison Avenue or Wall Street. And yet here I stand, hoping to talk one of you into giving away your life in the toughest job you will ever have. I'm looking for people to go into the hallows of West Virginia and into the ghettos of South Los Angeles and teach in some of the most difficult schools in the world. Last year, two of our teachers were killed while on the job. And I can tell just by looking at you that none of you are interested in that. So go on to law school or whatever successful thing you're planning on doing. But if by chance, some of you just happen to be interested, I got these brochure, brochures here for you to tell about Teach for America. This meeting is over. Willimon tells that the whole group stood up and pushed into the aisle, shoving each other aside and ran down to the front and fought over those brochures. And he writes this, that evening I learned an important insight. People want something more out of life than even happiness. People want to be part of an adventure. People want to be part of a project greater than their lives. In Matthew's gospel, we can read the story of Jesus calling his disciples. By the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called Peter and Andrew saying, come, follow me. And what an opportunity he gave to Matthew, the tax collector, while Matthew was sitting in his tax booth. Matthew, come, follow me. Those three and the other nine disciples all answered yes. But there were others who heard Jesus call and said no. There were inquirers who responded with excuses. I've just gotten married or let me go and bury my father. And there was the rich young ruler. Jesus told him to go and sell all he had and give it to the poor and then to come and follow me, Jesus said. And scripture said that the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. His answer was no. Jesus gave them and Jesus gives us the freedom to choose. But make no mistake about it, there is much at stake when we answer the question, Jesus' question, will you follow me? In the first century, those who decided to follow Jesus became his disciples, meaning they live with Jesus, they listen to Jesus, and they learn from Jesus daily. They followed wherever he went, and their lives were changed dramatically as a result. 
And one day Jesus tells his disciples, if, if any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus begins his statement with if, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If is a huge word in Jesus' call. If means it is by no means a certainty about who will follow Jesus. If means we are called, but we must decide if we will respond to Jesus' call and follow him. Let's look more closely at what Jesus says to his disciples in every age about his call. First, he says, if you want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, you must deny yourself. Deny yourself does not mean to put yourself down, to devalue yourself, to deny yourself all pleasures and all good experiences in life. Remember, Jesus said that he came to give us life and life abundantly, not take it away. What Jesus is saying when he says deny yourself is do not place yourself at the center of your life. Because you see, that's where God belongs. Jesus is saying that take yourself off the throne of your life and allow God to have, have God's rightful place on the throne of our lives. Didn't Jesus say love your neighbor? as you love yourself? We're supposed to love ourselves, yes, and love our neighbors. So the problem is not really self-love, but it's self-centeredness. God is to be at the center of our life. And when God is at that center, it's much easier for everything else in our lives to find its proper place. The whole world is designed to function with God at the center. And so when we put ourselves or anyone or anything else there, your lives and, and mine will eventually not function like they're supposed to. Do you want to mess up your life? Put yourself at the center of it. Do you want to miss out on the very best of life? Put yourself at the center. Only God will do. That's what Jesus was getting at when he said, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what Jesus did. The kingdom was first in his life. God was at the center of his life. So if we want to follow Jesus to be his disciples, we must de deny ourselves first place and allow God to have that position. When we do, then everything else will begin to fit better together. And your life and mine will begin to be moving in the direction that it was intended to be.
The second thing that Jesus says to his disciples in our lesson today is, if any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus is telling us that we must take up our cross. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't say his cross, but our cross? Taking up our cross does not mean what many people think. Have you ever heard someone say something when facing an illness or something painful or disappointing, say something like, this must be my cross to bear? Well, the cross that Jesus is talking about is not something difficult or painful that comes to us involuntarily. Taking up our cross is an active decision. It's about accepting, it's not about what ex accepting whatever evil befalls us. It was the same with Jesus' cross. Now remember, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus went voluntarily to the cross out of obedience to God. That was what the struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. Did Jesus want to die? No, no, he didn't. He didn't want to die. He could see the cross looming before him. He didn't want to die, not then. Jesus' struggle was so intense that sweat appeared on his brow like great drops of blood. But he chose to pray the greatest prayer that can be prayed. What did Jesus pray? Not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus, we're called to bear the cross of obedience to choose and to take up our cross of obedience and to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Perhaps the most single difficult thing about carrying our cross is giving up control. We wanna decide which commandments we will obey and which we will not. We want to decide whom we will love, and how much. We want to decide under what circumstances we will serve. We want a God that, quite frankly, we can put in a box when the going gets too steep or when the price gets too high. In other words, we want to sit on the throne and not God. When we don't take up the cross of obedience, we're refusing to deny ourselves, aren't we? We don't want to hear that, but we are. To give up control is never easy. But when we come to know what God is like, that God is like, like Jesus, and God really loves us and cares for us, and we can trust that God wants and knows what is best for us, then we can begin to let God be in control. Once we know that, once we really know that, then we can pray and we can really mean it. 
not my will, but yours be done. Finally today, Jesus says, follow me. If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. There's no more important decision in life than the decision about whom you will follow. The destination we reach is determined by the road that we take, and we need a guide who knows the way. Too often in life, people decide to follow someone, and after they follow and follow a bit more, they discover that the one they followed or the road that they have taken has not gotten them or is not moving them towards the place they want to go. I'm sure that everyone here and this morning and who will listen later wants the very best in life. You don't want any good thing to pass you by. We want our lives to count for something, don't we? We want to be part of a, a great adventure. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We want the world to know that we were here. We don't want to come to the end of our lives and have to admit that we have missed it or we've blown it. So the decision about whom we will follow is a critical one indeed. Jesus called his first disciples, and he continues to call people today, including you and me. Come, follow me, he says. Towards the end of Jesus' life, he became aware that most people had rejected him. Thousands had heard him teach, and most of them said no when he asked them to follow him. All Jesus wanted was to love them. All he wanted to do was to bring them to the Father. All he wanted to do was to give them the abundant life that, that only he can offer. And to help them make the world a better place for all of God's children. But most people listened. And they walked away. So Jesus said to his disciples, he asked his disciples, do you also wish to go away? And Peter had answered, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what I've decided as well. Of all the choices in life, I've decided that the best choice is to follow Jesus. I don't know of a better picture of God who is loved than the one I see and I know in Jesus Christ. I don't know of a more authentic and attractive model for human life than the one I see in Jesus. I don't know of a better way for us to live with one another than the compassionate, serving, self-giving life of love that was modeled by Jesus. My life is still very much a work in progress 
as God continues to melt and to mold and to fill and yes, even hopefully use me. But there is nothing that, that takes hold of me in the deepest places of my soul and heart and life like Jesus. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, beckons me and challenges me and calls forth the best from within me. And Jesus in the Spirit is seeking to do the same in and through you. But following Jesus, no, it's not always easy. Following Jesus means we are being called to live a life that looks and sounds like his. It means continuing to be melted and molded, continuing to be filled, and yes, continuing to be used to reveal Jesus to the world. It is life lived like Jesus that is the very hope, the very best hope for your life and mine. And it is the only hope for the world. Jesus says, if any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to deny ourselves. We do want to take up our cross daily and to identify and to follow our Lord and our Savior. Help us to live not for ourselves, but rather to live for you. Help us to lose our lives for your sake, knowing that this world holds really nothing of value. And to hear your call and to follow you is the greatest reward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.